You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 is our text today. Let me read it to you, and then um, let's just submit this entire time of... Uh, studying the Bible to God in prayer. So let me, let me read starting at verse 4. It says, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, meaning in the Old Testament that we know it now, in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, or some of your translations say the capstone. And it says in another place, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. Now, back to what Peter says. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But as for you, or, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this, um, this, this text this morning. And we ask, God, by your spirit that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to grasp what this is saying. I pray that you would shape us, that you would reshape us, that you would orient our desires towards you and the things of God, that for those of us that follow Christ, that you would reshape even our imaginations, that we would imagine a better life, that we would imagine the life that you have, have come to give us, and we would live into that life as a community, and you would help us to imagine what that looks like in this city, that you would reshape our dreams and our desires and our imagination today. I know that's asking a lot. I cannot do that, God. I can speak to ears, and that's it. You can shape hearts. So God, would you go before me and shape the hearts of all of us in here? I'm just so reminded when looking at a text as difficult as it is to preach, how inadequate I am. So I desperately need your help. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we've been in a, a series in the letter of First Peter. Now, First Peter was written by a guy named Peter, um, an apostle. The former disciple, he followed Jesus, became an apostle um, in the New Testament church. Uh, this was written around uh, the first century A.D. to a group of Christ followers that, were, that had been scattered uh, throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So these Christians had been scattered because of a persecution. Now, this wasn't state-led persecution like Nero. That would come years later. But there was starting to be like this uh, societal shift to where if you were a Christian, society would kind of push you to the margins and push you out and you would lose businesses and family even. And so these Christians were exiled or scattered throughout Asia Minor. And so what Peter does is he writes a letter that would be circulated around to them to encourage them. 
to encourage them as they live their life under some sort of persecution. And the theme of suffering, and we're going to get it on it again. It was in chapter 1. We didn't get to dive in it too much, but we will hit it at, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. The theme of suffering is like laced throughout this entire letter. And what Peter does, he writes to encourage them, to teach them how to live in a society that was not friendly to the gospel. He was teaching these scattered exiles, these scattered people who had become Christ followers, how to live in a society that was not friendly to Christianity or to the gospel. Now, because of that first context, because of the first context of this letter, the church throughout the centuries have looked at this letter no matter where it's been, all over the world and throughout the last 2,000 years to help shape a theology of what it means to live in a particular society or culture. So no matter if you were in Croatia or you were in Africa, uh, different parts of Africa, if you were in um, New Zealand or whatever, throughout the centuries, wherever the church has gone, this letter has been used on how do we live in our society as followers of Christ. And what we've been trying to do over the last several weeks is do that same thing in 2014, moving into 2015, here in San Francisco, California. How do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God while being citizens of San Francisco, California? How do we do that? In the complexity that is the Bay Area. How do we do that? And we've been looking to Peter for that answer. Or said differently, one commentator says that Peter's audience had a historical moment. Peter's audience had a historical moment, and what Peter does, he writes, into, he writes to them to help them be faithful to God in that particular historical moment and be faithful to their society as well. They had, one, they had a moment that they were living in. They had a historical moment, and what Peter does, he writes in and goes, I want you to be faithful. This is who you are before God. This is who you are to be before society. Be faithful in your historic moment. And we, too, have a historical moment. We live in San Francisco in 2014, going into, very quickly, I might add, 15. And we too are looking to this letter, this living truth, so we can be faithful to God in the moment in history he he placed us in. It's by no accident that we live here right now. And as I was thinking today, that we have some very, very, that fill this auditorium every single Sunday, very smart, talented, educated outside-of-the-box thinkers that, sh- that help shape whatever, a lot of things. And my prayer today, my honest prayer before God as your pastor is that God would, would get inside of our, our, our minds collectively to reshape us around a vision for the kingdom of God in the city, to reshape us to go, to just even expand our imagination, because if we can imagine it, if we can imagine what if we can imagine, like, this is what the kingdom of God looks like in the city, we can imagine, we can start building around it. We can start living around it. We can start b- basing our communities around this thing. This is what I hope happens. That's what I hope happens in First Peter, is that our, our imagination is reshaped around what it could be like to live here into the kingdom of God. Because it is a challenge to live in the city sometimes. I mean, in the broader culture that we find ourselves in, the air that we breathe, it teaches us from the very, since we were infants, this Western culture has taught us that life is about comfort. It's all about comfort. Everything is about my comfort. And in the, in the evangelical world, that comfort is, is equated a lot of times to like non-resistance, surrounding ourselves with people that are just like us. 
And so San Francisco becomes a very difficult place to live because we don't work around people just like us that believe the same thing about society, the same thing about God. We don't live around people just like us, so it's hard. And there's this tension at times, though this is the greatest place to live on earth, in my opinion. It is difficult at times to live in this city. But we have a historical moment that we have to be faithful in. How do we do that? And I think our text today speaks to it. So most of the first part, actually, I won't lie to you, most of this teaching is a teaching. So I'm going to be teaching you something, so you're going to be learning today. Okay, I know you, I hope that you learn every Sunday, but today we'll be specifically teaching. It'll, it'll be a less emotional feeling. You might not feel anything today until your mind clicks on. You're like, oh no, that, that's what that means. And, and it clicks and hopefully you feel something by the end. We don't know. Even if you don't, who cares? Just think with me, okay? Everybody going to think with me. All right. So as I read this text today, this is a very difficult text to read. I mean, it talks a lot about language we don't really understand, like stones. Like what are those? Rocks. Like they don't, they're not used in the same way that we use them now. And priesthoods and sacrifices and all these words, and I'm reading them, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this cornerstone was rejected. Now we're a kingdom of priests and we're sacrificing to God. And it's like, we don't ever talk like that. So it's so hard to understand what's going on. And so I want to uh, walk through this section with you kind of slowly. First, this whole section is about God's building project. Okay, God's building, okay? The stone the builders rejected. That should be a clue for us. Now, back then, people built with stones, like big stones. If you've ever been to Israel or you've ever been to, to the Middle East, you've seen old ruins. Or, or, or ancient Europe, you've seen old ruins of giant stones. That's how they used to build, like real stones, not like stucco with like foam in the middle that looks like stone on the outside, but then a chip comes off, like that's styrofoam. Okay, that wasn't how they built, like real stones, okay? So, God is building, God has a building project. The word that's used is stones. Now, he first talks about, the, Peter talks about the living stone. The stone is a person, okay? The stone is a person, it's a living stone. Did you notice that? It's like, we come to him, the living stone. So God is building something, and he's building it with this living stone. The stone's a person. In verse six, it says this, it's even more explicit in verse six. In verse six, it says, you can look down at your Bible now, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion was like code for Jerusalem, where God was, where his presence dwelt. I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious, and the one who trusts in him, in him. Now, circle him and circle stones, and then draw a line connecting the two. He's connecting the stone that he's laying in Zion to a him that we are to trust in. So the stone is a person. So God's building project has to do with a person. Next, the stone is chosen. So this isn't just any stone. This stone, as Peter will say, is Jesus. The stone is Jesus. He's the promised stone, the cornerstone, and the capstone, the only stone that fits. So he was a chosen stone, God's chosen plan. So God's building, and God is choosing to build with his son, this was hinted at in the Old Testament, especially when, when Isaiah and the Psalms connect the stone to a son. So what Peter is saying is that God's chosen plan was to build his, his, his building project with his own son. And this son was precious. He's the cornerstone. That is, everything was built. The cornerstone was the first stone that goes in. And everything was built around the cornerstone. It was like the plumb line. So God chose to build he chose to build around this stone, but this stone was rejected. 
The next thing it says, this stone was rejected. Now, what does this mean? Okay, so God's people, Israel, during, um, uh, during the Old Testament and into the time of Jesus, God's people, his chosen people, were always like the locust or the address of God's kingdom. It was always the way that the kingdom was breaking in, coming forth, was through, um, was through Israel. And the kingdom was being built by Israel. And so what, what Peter does, he draws his imagery of, of the people that were supposed to be building for God's kingdom. We're building with these stones. We're building with these stones. We're building with these stones. And along comes Jesus, this stone. And they're like, it doesn't fit. Like we're building this kingdom. And Jesus coming, preaching his, his peace, healing outside of the temple, doing all this stuff that he does doesn't fit into our plan of what we think what God is doing. He doesn't fit. And so they reject him. More than that, if you've read the New Testament, they kill him. We do. All humanity does. Rejected. Rejected by Rome. Rejected by the Jews. Rejected by everyone. This precious stone that God is building everything upon is now rejected. It's thrown out. And so the builders, the people of Israel who are building towards God's kingdom, grab Jesus and are like, oh, no, we're rejecting you. We're throwing you away. You're rejected. But this stone is precious. This is the next thing that he says about this stone. This stone is not like any other stone. This one is precious. And the only stone that fits into God's plan for the future. And so the imagery is, the last one, is that the builders the stone rejected has become the capstone. Um, Or some translations say the cornerstone. This word is a little bit different. It means like the very last stone at the very, very top of the most exalted place. And they're looking for that stone that fits. And they realize that the only stone that fits is the one they rejected. And what God is saying, what Peter is saying is that what you rejected is the only way this whole thing, this whole plan comes together. It's the rejected one, the one that God had planned from the very beginning. Okay. Now, is everybody with me right here? Are you starting to understand? Okay, this is kind of what Peter's talking about. Okay, so next, we, us, followers of Christ, are living stones, plural. Okay, so we, when we come to Christ, the living stone, okay, Peter's playing on words here just masterfully. When we come to Christ, the living stone, we come into the community of God as living stones, so we come to him, the, 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 the chief cornerstone, the living stone, and then all of us like little stones are being built upon each other. So to come to Christ is to come to community. To come to Christ is to come into God's family. There is no isolation here. There is no, my spirituality is my own. Like I just live my own life. I just pray a little bit. No, that's completely foreign in the Bible. You are not alone. You come into the living, as you come to the living stone, you are being built into a, like a spiritual house. Okay. So, how do we know this? How do we know that um, we're part of now God's plan? This is what Peter's saying. Jesus was a part of God's plan, but not just that. Christ's people, Christians, the church is also a, God of, a part of God's cosmic plan. This is important. Now, how do we know this? We are chosen, okay? We are a chosen people, verse 9. Christ was chosen, and we're chosen. We are rejected. This is actually implied throughout the letter, that, that the people that Peter was writing to were in some ways rejected. That they would bear the reproach of Christ. If Christ was rejected and we follow Christ, we can expect to be rejected too. That's comforting to some people in this room right now. That's comforting as, as you're living your life as a Christian. Not, not you just being like a dork, but you like living your life as a follower of Christ. Trying to live, live into purity, into holiness, into God's kingdom. As you do that, you feel rejected. 
That's a part of it, okay? And we're precious to God. Look at verse 9. It says that we're his special possession. possession. Now, most of this language is communal, but this is the only language that's personal. Most of the language is we are living stones, we are holy people, we are royal priesthood, not royal priest, but a priesthood. This is the only one where it says special possession. This means like your own. My friend um, told me the best way that he understands this is like a toothbrush. Like you share everything. If you're married, you share everything except a toothbrush. Like that's mine, special <laughs> possession. Like you don't use my toothbrush. Like my wife and I have like matching Sonicares and hers has like wraps on it just so I don't grab the wrong one. Like you know, you're, they're separate. So this is, this is a personal thing. Like, it, you know, preachers say this for, you know, emotional effect. If you were the only person who ever lived, Christ would die for you. And it's like, oh, whatever. It's just so individualistic. But this, this actually means that God has created something and then surrounds them with a circle, meaning I have individual ownership. I ha- this is my only possession. It's like he, he surrounds you like he, you're his only possession. So we're chosen, we're rejected, we're precious. So we're part of God's building too. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone, and we like living stones are part of it too. Okay, are you still with me? God is building, okay? And he's choosing Christ and then he chooses Christ's followers and he's building. And here's the, here's the question of all questions. This is what you should be asking. I hope you were asking this when I first started. What is God building If God is building something and Christ is so important to this and the church is now so important to this plan and we're a living stones being built into something, what is God building? And this should build anticipation. I mean, do you ever walk by a building in your neighborhood and you see paper over the window? You're like, what's going in there? (laughs) God, let it be a Chipotle. Like it's so cheap. (laughs) Or something like that. Like you just look in and like, let it be something inexpensive because I can't afford the food anymore. Like let it be something cheap. Like you do that, we build with, like this is what's going on. So God is building, but what is he building? This is what he's building. He is building a temple. (laughs) You guys, oh, that's it, a temple? (laughs) This is very anticlimactic, I know that. For our world, I I was hoping that I'd get some cheers, like the temple, thank you God. Okay, so what? Now if this was first century, this would blow first century minds. He's building a temple, they would go, oh no. Like how? Like what? This doesn't blow our mind at all. Like he is building a temple and you would say, what is a temple and what does that even mean? This whole section is temple language. All of it is. Did you notice spiritual house? That literally means the, 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 the temple of the spirit of God. A holy priesthood, who ministered in temples? Priests, sacrifices, what happened in and, out, in and around uh, the, the, the temple? Sacrifice, what on earth does a temple mean? Okay, I'm gonna do something that I've never done before. Okay, it's the first time. I'm gonna show you a video. Now, it's not a movie clip or something stupid like that. It's, it's a video, okay? And it's a video put on uh, by an organization called The Bible Project. Um, a friend of mine's on the board of this thing and of this project, and it's, they're amazing videos. And it's a short film explaining what I, would, I couldn't explain in an hour if you sat down with me. They explain in like a couple minutes. So we're going to learn. And I want you to pay attention because I hope things will click for you, especially this idea of temple. Why is God building a temple? You ready for it?
So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's 
healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. I did the majority of my preaching before that because it's really hard to follow that up. That is, did, okay, so what I hope is this, that something began to click for some people. Like the story of the Bible, what it means that we are now living stones being built into a temple in the middle of San Francisco, it starts to click for you. This is, what, this is why Peter is completely tripping out for most of the letter. He's trying to get his readers to understand this is who you are in the midst of the world. This is who you are as you're scattered all over Asia Minor, you're actually templed all over Asia Minor. There's actually pockets of God's kingdom now through you as you're being built together, breaking in to all, all over Asia Minor. So whenever we grow, and ever we grow into different places all over the neighbor, all over the city, if it's in a community group, we see it as like this pocket of God's kingdom breaking into that neighborhood. So your community group isn't just like this group of people that meets together because you're struggling, and you had a hard week, and you want to see someone's face and eat like free food. That's not what it's about. Like it's God's kingdom breaking into that apartment, breaking into that neighborhood. It's God through us tabernacling again. It's God through us as we gather together. Now, I know this is, this is, this is what, this is what the, the, like the video said the Bible's all about. The first prototype temple was the Garden of Eden. And as the Garden of Eden was created, God said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What that means, and I, and, I, and I agree with this interpretation of it, is that the Garden of Eden was the place that heaven and earth collided, where heaven and earth were joined, and what humanity was to do was to take that and bring that all over the earth. 
to take that garden of Eden, that prototype sort of temple, and take it all over the earth. And they were to set up almost statues of God all over the earth. And the statue, the images they were to set up were themselves because they themselves were made in the image of God. You get that? We're made in the image of God. So wherever humanity would walk, the image of God would walk. Like almost small pictures of who God is would be all over the earth and then sin into the world. And then the tabernacle came in where God's presence was. And the temple came in where God's presence was. And the goal of all of the scriptures is the prayer that is prayed in Psalm 72, 19. Praise be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. This is God's whole purpose. This is God's whole desire. Now, this is a very meta thing. I know. This is like so big and so far out. It's a brilliant plan for God to bring about his kingdom, his project of building the kingdom. But let me try to bring this down to the street. What does this look like? Look at verse 5. It says, 1 Peter 2.5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, that is a temples of the spirit, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Christ Jesus. So what Peter is saying is that we are together, together these many temples where heaven meets earth. There is a Celtic spirituality uh, thing or a theology in Celtic spirituality called the theology of thin places. And what thin places are is where the, that veil between heaven and earth were very, very thin, where there was like this overlapping between heaven and earth. And what Peter is saying is that the church, the community of God, as we are being built in the living stones, become thin places where heaven meets earth. That this, as we gather together, all of us in here, this place every Sunday in some miraculous, strange, mystical way becomes a thin place. Where when we come in here, it's like heaven's right here. We can taste it. God's here, and he's like with, among us. And as we are scattered all over the city, we're like littered communities of light all over the city where the kingdom of God is breaking in, where heaven meets earth. Almost like little, if you want to get sci-fi, because I know some of you people are like, yes, let's get sci-fi. Almost like little portals where the future is lived out in the present. Almost like little portals where the future is lived out in the present. What I mean by that is this. If the kingdom of God is peace and love and righteousness and joy and truth and generosity and purity and wholeness, to name a few, we are a community that has like a little portal into that future community right now. So we are a community. When you walk into community group, I... When you walk into church, when you walk into a gathering of the community of people that you're living life out, the Christian life out together with, you walk in and it becomes a community of peace. I mean, so, guys, this week, practice, when you walk into community groups, say shalom to one another. Peace be with you. It's community of love and forgiveness and righteousness together. When you gather as your groups, as you gather in this church, is it a place of righteousness? Is it a place of joy? Is it a place of truth and generosity and purity? We are to be almost like a movie trailer, like a foretaste of coming attractions. We should be these small communities that go, this is what life's going to be like in the future. 
And we are this pocket, this temple now here. That's basically what this slide of the film is about. This slide here from the film, that cross with all these little, if you can imagine these like little tabernacles. And they're scattered and one's in North Beach and one's in, in Oakland and um, one's in uh, the marina and then one's in the mission. and one, Like they're scattered all over. Think of it like that. When you see our community group map, just think of, it's, it's like this map. Communities of light scattered. And we, as a community, are to proclaim the excellencies of God. That you may declare, this is what Peter says, you are here as a spiritual temple to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so let me give you a very practical application of that verse right there. When you gather as a group, it's really good to share testimony. Sometimes the hardest, the easiest way to talk about what God is doing is just by praising him. It's the easiest way. It's like, hey, I'd like to start by praising God for this. I'd like to start for, for praising God. And this is, this is you declaring the excellencies. I want to praise God for this. And, and what it does is it trains our eyes, our hearts, our minds to look for how God is breaking into our world. Now, let me try to bring it down to the street, lower to the street, like to the street, the gutter street, okay? Because I know this still might be way out there. I've been wanting to share this quote for a while from Miroslav Volf, who is the professor of theology at Yale, who writes an article on 1 Peter that I told you about like three weeks ago called Soft Difference, where he takes the letter of 1 Peter and he looks at it as a way to live into our culture today. When he gets to the conclusion of how are we to, to live as faithful to God and faithful to our historical moment, he places us in, he says this, he writes, we get no sense from, and it's broken up in two slides, so the first one is, we get no sense from First Peter that the church should strive to regulate all domains of social life and reshape society in the image of the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, stop there. I need to say this because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I am not saying that our job as a church is to go on some sort of crusade to change all of San Francisco into the new Jerusalem. That is not our responsibility. That is God's responsibility. God will cause heaven and earth to be joined together and heaven will join earth and the new Jerusalem will come down from the sky. So God will bring it down. We don't bring it up, okay? So we're not necessarily supposed to go around and by force to try to convert San Francisco into the kingdom of God. That's not the goal. So Miroslav goes on, he says this. Peter's community did not wish to impose itself or the kingdom of God on the world, but to live in faithfulness to God and to the values of God's kingdom. Guys, this is so important. This is probably undoing a lot of youth work theology when you were like in high school. Like, take the city, you know, whatever, take your school for God, you know, that sort of thing. Wear the shirts, tell everyone. Like, there's that. If you grew up in church, it was like that sort of, and you get here and you're like, how does that work here? And this, like, do we do that? No. We, we live in faithfulness to God and the values of God's kingdom, inviting others to do the same. This means this. We become a foretaste community. We live in it together. A picture of God's coming kingdom. We live in it now. And he goes on and he says, Peter's community had no desire to do for others what they did not want done for them. 
They had no covert totalitarianism agenda. Rather, the community was to live an alternative way of life in the present social setting, transforming it as it could from within. In any case, the community did not seek to exert social or political pressure, but to give public witness to a new way of life. And then the, then the article goes on, and then Miroslav Volf dropped the mic. I think it says something like that at the end of the article. <laughs> okay, keep that up there for a second. Did you see that last part? To give public witness to a new way of life. This is what it means to live in the city as temples, as thin places, as a community that is a foretaste of coming attraction, as the kingdom of God breaking in, as like God's presence is here. This is, we live as a public witness in the city of a new way of living, a way of living in peace with one, with one another. A way of living in forgiveness and general, I mean, all purity and holiness, all these things. A public witness to a new way of life is how the world was turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus in the first century. This is how it happened. Like us living it together and proclaiming and letting our lives, our community proclaim that. And then us with our voices proclaim the excellencies of God. Proclaim what God's doing. To proclaim, to sing, to proclaim, to do all these things together. Look at verse 9 one more time. This is how I want this to end. Verse 9. This is a verse that's used about us. Like, oh, look at, look at who we are. It's so cute. Uh, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That, that language, I know this language is a language of identity, but we take this to be like, oh, I'm royal and chosen and holy. Like, ah, uh, we like, like hug it, you know? It just, this, that's, that's kind of not what, what uh, Peter had in mind. He wants us to get identity. He does. He does throughout the whole book. But this is talking about responsibility. A chosen people had a responsibility. Israel this is all is language that, that, that Peter uses, adopts from Israel, and uses it now for the church. All of this is like the chosen people of Israel had a responsibility. The priesthood had a responsibility. Kings, royals had a responsibility before God and their nation. A holy nation means really a holy race of people had a responsibility. This is who we are. But we cannot sit here and go, oh, look at who I am. I'm so royal and holy and chosen. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel so good about myself. And what that means, church, that we have a responsibility, that you and I are given a responsibility. We're supposed to look at this and go, I have the responsibility as someone chosen by God to live my life out in a community of people where the kingdom of God is like so thin with the kingdom of the world as a royal priesthood, as kings and priests. I'm to serve God and serve my neighbors. Priests served God on behalf of people. Like they ministered to God and brought people's requests before God. Like imagine the priesthood, our priesthood in neighborhoods, like looking for people and ways to pray and just stand before God as a group and go, God, we bring to you our neighbors, we bring to you our friends, we bring to you this community down the street. Like let's minister to God on behalf of our neighbor. We, are, we have a responsibility. We are not, and this, this is the personal thing. I know that we live in more of a Western individualistic society, so unless I tell you how, what this means to you, it's hard to get. I get that. And I work that way too, so this is what it means to you. 
You should not be here to build your own kingdom. You should not be here to build your own kingdom, your own resume or portfolio or build your own education. You're not here to build your own thing. We have to be here to live into God's kingdom. And so we pray, your kingdom come. But before we pray, your kingdom come, we must all pray, my kingdom go. My kingdom go. The kingdom that I'm building around myself, may it go away. And may your kingdom come. May it come into my life. May it come to my community, my church, my neighborhood. May your kingdom break in. May we live together and show what it's like for God to save a community. Now, the, the, the thing this all hinges on is this stone. Christ, the stone. Christ, the living stone. And these first builders were building, and they were building their own kingdoms, and they are building their own religiosity and systems, and along comes Jesus, and they're like, he doesn't fit into our plans. And so they threw him out, and they rejected him. Jesus is the stone that you will either place into its proper place and build your life upon it, or you will reject it, and then you will stumble over it, and you will fall. You cannot step around Jesus. Can't. No human soul on this planet will ever step around Jesus. You will either build your life upon him or you will fall over him, stumble, fall, and perish. And so as we close, as you're building your own worlds and Christ comes here, we fall upon him. We don't trip over him. We fall upon him. We go, we will build our lives and our communities upon you, the living stone. For there is no other way to the Father except by Jesus. There's no other way of salvation except through Christ. Let's receive that. God, I thank you. God, for this community, I thank you. I pray that our imaginations would be right now on fire for the implications of living our lives out like this. And I ask God as we respond to you now, I want to pray. I want to pray for, um, I just really believe that because this place is like where every Sunday there is this closeness and nearness to you, God, and you show up here and it's, or this place is thin or however you want to say it, there's something about this, Lord, that I know that you are dismantling our own images of what we thought our kingdoms are or your kingdom is. And it's been being reframed around your scriptures. And I pray, God, that, God, what you're building here in this community would be healthy I pray over this church that what you build here would be long-lasting. I pray, God, that we would truly represent and show forth the kingdom of God by grace, your grace, God. And I pray, God, by your spirit that you would indwell us, that we would be obedient to you in your scriptures, and that you would transform us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.